0: Welcome to the Citizens for Health Radio Show on Building Fortunes Radio with your hosts, Jim Turner and Peter Mingles. Make sure you check us out by clicking on the Citizens for Health Radio Show link on buildingfortunesradio.com. That's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. Citizens for Health provides over 100,000 supporters with consumer news, action alerts, and opportunities to take action. For nearly two decades, Citizens for Health has been a nonprofit pioneer in the natural health freedom movement. The Citizens for Health Education Foundation offers tools to inform the public of health issues and educate and influence policymakers. Jim Turner is here to spread the word about some of the most interesting topics that can affect your world, from the dangers of mislabeled or dangerous products to the questions and concerns of vaccines. You'll want to listen to Jim as he speaks on behalf of Citizens for Health. And now, on to our show with Jim Turner and Peter Mingles. Take it away, Peter.
1: Hello, everyone. Peter Mingles here. You're listening to us on Building Fortunes Radio. It's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. This is a special Citizens for Health radio show. And if you heard the intro, you heard the name Jim Turner. Jim Turner was an attorney over in Washington, D.C., passed away about two years ago. And I still keep that intro because we started to do this radio show again with the president of Citizens for Health. His name is James Gormley. But if you have ever listened to Jim Turner before, he's a wealth of information. And if you go back to Bidling Fortunes, radio.com forward slash citizens, you'll be able to hear the previous radio shows that we've done. So Citizens for Health is the organization. Citizens.org. Is the website and we are here today with a special guest but I first want to introduce James Gormley. James is a gentleman who's been working with the Citizens for Health Organization for a super-duper long time. We started doing some radio shows seriously in 2024 after that little retirement, if you will, just running replays that Jim Turner had done. And I have a huge level of respect for James. We were talking about something, and he said, could I invite a guest? And I said, absolutely, anytime you want. And when he told me who he was going to have on today's radio show, I was super-duper excited. Um, I've been following this gentleman for a long time. He spoke with us at a meeting that we held one time for a trade association, and um, he doesn't know this, but I've been socially stalking him as far as some of the things that he's been working on in a polite way and giving him full endorsements and telling people all along the way. So you'll want to hear from our guest speaker as well. But the first thing I want to do is kind of get out of the way and say, James Gormley, thanks for being here on your own radio show.
2: Many thanks. Um, And uh, my appreciation to uh, Senate candidate Jonathan Emord. um, And he's the FDA Dragon Slayer. He's a, Jonathan Emord uh, very, very kindly agreed to um, be on the program today. Um, I've been following Mr. Emord's work for well since I entered the uh, natural products industry probably beginning of 95 and uh, he had already been uh, you know involved with many important issues already um, and Jonathan Emord is a constitutional attorney um, he is a health freedom uh, liberty liberty-loving uh, attorney and expert and advocate and he um, I think George Newry referred to him as a knight in shining armor and as a warrior out to save our rights um, he's also been as I said referred to as the FDA dragon slayer because I think he's defeated the FDA and he can clarify this for me as far as how many times but he's defeated the FDA and a defeat for the FDA on issues that are anti-health freedom, is a win for health freedom and a win for consumers and a win for the health freedom community, a win for the natural products industry. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I just wanted so I want to introduce you, Jonathan. Um, please feel free to give a couple of quick thoughts before I get into any questions. Well, thank
3: you, James. Um, and it's a total of eight times on constitutional grounds against the FDA in federal court and it's been a great run uh, and now unfortunately um, our nation faces some of the greatest threats to health freedom and to liberty in general that we've ever faced and we have a very short period of time within which to save our country or witness authoritarianism to uh, replace all respect of the rule of law and constitutional limits on government power.
2: Well, that's a very good point. I, um, in one of your books, uh, and I've, I think I have all of your books, um, and in one of them, I, you had a, a great quote. You, you were talking about our nation's unelect, unelected, bureau, unelected leaders. <laughs> uh, not, actually, not, not even to get into the elected leaders problem that we have at the moment, but just looking at the unelected bureaucrats, um, you said, uh, I believe I'm quoting correctly, called the rise of tyranny. Um, you said, they have repra- replaced liberty with tyranny and have caused the nation as a whole to lose its way. Uh, I, know, I know I'm starting with a very broad stroke point, and we can, get, we can drill down into specific areas in terms of the FDA or in terms of the Federal Trade Commission, et cetera, or, and specific battles. But that I like that broad comment because it it is a broad, overarching problem in general, isn't it?
3: It is. Three-quarters of all federal law is not the product of those we elect. It's the product of the unelected heads of over 250 different agency, bureaus, and departments. And the consequence of that is that we no longer have a functioning constitutional republic. Instead, we have a bureaucratic oligarchy ruling America, And that uh, has dire consequences for individual liberty because before the administrative state in administrative law courts of the agencies, you don't have a right to a trial by jury even when they take your property and liberty away. You don't have uh, the right against general warrants so they can demand any information about you and you have to turn it over. You don't have a right to a presumption of innocence. You are essentially presumed guilty until you prove yourself innocent. And you don't even have a right to confront your accuser. In fact, you're kept from knowing who your accuser is. And you don't have a right to a set charge against you. They can change the nature of the charges all the way up to their decision. And you do not have a right to an independent court of law in the first instance. You have to spend millions, typically, in defending yourself before the agency. And an agency in which the ultimate judge is also the party That wrote the laws, that is the regulations, that you're being prosecuted under and actually controls the prosecution so the judge is also the prosecutor and in that instance of course there can be no justice so that is what we face and really we have to end the administrative courts and we have to uh, eliminate the administrative state and I wrote a bill for Ron Paul, many years ago that I plan to reintroduce when I'm in the Senate, uh, called the Congressional Responsibility and Accountability Act. And what that would do is cause every proposed regulation to have no legal force or effect unless passed into law by Congress and would take all existing regulation and sunset it within three years unless passed into law by Congress. And this would restore the constitutional separation of powers and also the Article 1 section 1 requirement, that only congress make the law and it would also as i mentioned about getting rid of the administrative courts restore the constitutional role of the article 3 courts which do provide you with the protections that i mentioned before that are denied in the administrative context so these are important changes that are essential for the survival of liberty in america everything from our open border crisis to FDA censorship of health information and the mandates on vaccination and uh, masking are all part of the administrative state. The President, in this instance, Joe Biden, has used the administrative state repeatedly in instances where he's effectively legislating, uh, and that was the province of of the of the legislative branches. The Supreme Court has said to him many times But he just continues to violate the law The Constitution with impunity
2: Well, Those are Powerful points And and, and it's a Powerful direction In terms of where you're headed uh, Mr. Emerald. Um I I don't know I'm not sure I, I think I'll actually I can go either into the FDR I can go into the uh, What you're trying to achieve um, What you're going to achieve When you're elected to Senate um, so while we don't, while Citizens does not endorse any specific candidates, we certainly are very supportive of the work that you have done and are going to do for the United States and for the and for the constituents of Virginia. Um, so can you go into some of the ways that you would, uh, and I can get into specific things about the FDA, the uh, pharma being captured by i'm sure i'm sorry f d a being captured by uh, pharma, but uh if you could go into broadly speaking some of the ways that you might reform the f d a hold back some of its anti dietary supplement um prior restraint activities just give us give give us an overview of that Jonathan
3: sure, so um a lot of people don't realize this, but the f d a routinely censors nutrient disease information. So there are all sorts of uh, nutritional relationships which are critical to um, to the survival of many many Americans. For example, the cases that we've won against the FDA include, include ones that uh, involve folic acid which is a B vitamin that reduces the risk of neural tube defect births by as much as 80 percent if you take 0.8 milligrams that is is 800 micrograms daily and you're a woman of childbearing age you reduce your risk of a neural tube defect birth by as much as eighty percent and you need to take it in the form of a dietary supplement to assuredly get what you need and FDA censored that information for over ten years at a cost of 2,500 preventable neural tube defect births a year that's spina bifidin and encephaly when your brain when you're born with your brain outside of your skull or your spinal column outside of your spine, outside of your spinal column. And those things create uh, enormous uh, horrors for families, for the individuals affected, of course, and also for uh, the cost of of, of trying to keep children alive who suffer from these things. And it caused countless neural tube defect uh, abortion, related abortions. And, uh, We we prevailed in that case, Pearson versus Shalala, and the FDA was forced to stop censoring that ultimately. We had to sue them a number of times to get them to do that. But when they did do that, the incidence of neural tube defect births in America went way down so that the numbers of neural tube defect births went way down annually, and the incidence of NTD-related abortions went way down, so much so that the march of dimes basically disappeared and uh and most uh, there there are tens of thousands of people who are walking around today healthy who would otherwise have suffered neural tube defect births, but their mothers got the information and and took the the B vitamins and saved them uh, also um omega three fatty acids and coronary heart disease, so the o m b actually during the pendency of our petition asked, issued a prompt letter asking the uh, FDA Commissioner to release that claim because it would save an estimated 100,000 people a year from sudden death heart attack according to the OMB so th- these things have profound consequences so what do we need to do well, what we need to do is strip the FDA of jurisdiction over the review of health claims so that uh, the First Amendment reigns supreme again you shouldn't have to justify to the government your speech uh, in the first instance you have a right to speak and that's true, whether it's commercial speech or, or political speech. The Founding Fathers didn't distinguish between the two. And um, when you communicate falsely or fraudulently, then you're subject to prosecution, but not until you do so. So the prior restraint that the FDA has in place is grossly unconstitutional. And uh, if we are to honor the Constitution, ensure the freedom reigns, and allow people maximum information about how nutrients can reduce disease so that they can make informed decisions in the market, well, you have to strip FDA of this massive censorship regime that it has uh, in place and force them to supply the Justice Department with information. If there's a party that is committing an act of fraud, they could be prosecuted. But in the first instance, you know, in all other areas of speech, other than what this uh, health claims area, you get to speak in the first instance. Government can't impose a prior restraint. Prior restraints are anathema to the First Amendment. And yet, in this instance, they say, no, you have to go to the government, petition the government, get the government's review and approval before you can open your mouth. Well, that's, uh, that's rank. It violates the First Amendment. But it also subjects all speech about health-related issues and nutrients to a prior restraint that uh, is dominated by political forces within the agency. So over and over again, politics reigns over science at FDA and the drug industry's interests are predominant, so they protect the drug industry from forms of competition arising from people learning about how
2: nutrients uh, can help you reduce the risk of disease. Well, those are great points. Um, I may be misquoting this statistic, but I believe that the operating budget of the FDA, I don't know if it's the FDA's enforcement budget or if it's the overall budget, I'm not quite clear, but I believe maybe it's as much as 50 to 60% of the FDA's operating budget is paid for by uh, user fees paid by pharmaceutical companies companies to the FDA. Is that correct? Yeah, it accounts for about three-quarters
3: of their budget, or about $1.1 billion um, from the pharmaceutical industry funding alone. So that's, um, uh, you know, he who pays the piper calls the tune, and that uh, that's really the case here. Um, there's no question, I mean you and I have watched this for years and there have been whistleblowers who testified mm-hmm. before Congress over and over and over again about this from the FDA and that is that the FDA bends over backwards to protect drug companies and that of course is richly explained in my book, uh, The Rise of Tyranny um, and also by, uh, uh, I think it was John Abramson, Dr. John Abramson's book, um, I forget the name of it offhand, but uh, he, he, he also had a very good and detailed explanation of how pharma calls the FDA's uh, shots and case after case after case, and the FDA basically is a patsy for the drug industry, protects it from competition, and so it censors information about supplements, and it, it approves unsafe drugs, We had Dr. David Graham years ago testify before Grassley's uh, Finance Committee about how the American public was virtually defenseless against the approval of unsafe drugs, and certainly that has continued. Um, It hasn't uh, abated, and Congress has taken no serious step to prevent the horrors that Dr. David Graham described uh, from, from recurring at FDA. It is still very much captive of the drug industry, and as a consequence, I mean, we have just the COVID example. For example, we we have a vaccine for COVID that is rushed through the FDA, uh, and the uh, drug itself is is really incapable of, uh, as we know, of preventing you from getting COVID because many people who are vaccinated that got COVID, and it's the third most common adverse effect in the Pfizer adverse effects that ultimately they wanted to suppress for 99 years, but got out because of a good judge doing the right thing and forcing it into the public. Um, but then we also see that it did not prevent you from transmitting the disease. And then the immunity that was claimed at first to be more fulsome than natural immunity ends up being far less uh, uh, fulsome than natural immunity. Indeed, it it may last a matter of weeks, if that, and it's not complete. And that's why people who got vaccinated still got covid So that Mm -hmm. whole thing was a massive regime of both censorship and protectionism for the industry against allowing truthful criticism of the vaccine. Um, Dr. Robert Malone, who's endorsed my candidacy, um, he was a very strong and vocal critic and has been all the way to the present, but for over a year they censored him and wouldn't allow his criticism out, nor would they allow doctors to criticize it. They suppressed all of the early treatments, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine among them, uh, that were uh, effective in reducing the severity length uh, of the disease. So we have to be very careful about government censorship because we've, we've witnessed through Dr. Fauci, and who's, oh. who's the greatest betrayer of the United States, my judgment, um, cause over 1.1 million people to be uh, to lose their lives as a result of government actions that have denied people and doctors and other healthcare care professionals the right to freely communicate how to cope disease. And, uh, you know, we could have had a wide-open, robust debate about it. Instead, we had government censorship and a one-size-fits-all answer. Either you get vaccinated or you're dead. And as it turned out, many got vaccinated and died. Um, or, so it had, wasn't or had long-term, either. long-term
2: COVID symptoms. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's um well aside from that um Jonathan, I mean look at the the fact that the NIH uh sponsored gain of function research um at the Wuhan Institute of uh Virology. That's right, the NIAID and, through Fauci
3: ensured that right. even during the presence of executive orders that prohibited uh, the funding, they continue to fund it through EcoHealth and
1: Ralph mm-hmm.
3: Barracks operation at the University of North Carolina. Yeah, they, he was funding all along gain-of-function research since 2007, even before that perhaps, but at least until 2007. Right. And at uh, the enemy of our country, I mean, Communist China is no friend of ours, and they have a massive bioweapons program that operates through the Institutes of Virology throughout China, and mm-hmm. uh, they had developed SARS-1 through the Beijing Institute of Virology, and here SARS two COVID comes along and as part of gain of function research that uh, Fauci was supporting financially and also uh, providing them uh, even the human cell line from AMRID, the American uh, Defense Research Entity and and also uh, uh, through Barrick and through EcoHealth uh, Peter Zasik at uh, EcoHealth all that um, all that information necessary for them to create a new uh, virus in fact. I I believe it was 2007, Fauci was at an academic conference, and he was asked a question. This was videotaped. I think it's still on YouTube. Um, Well, aren't you afraid that there will be a global pandemic from this gain-of-function research that you're financing? Notice that he didn't correct him and say, oh, that's not gain-of-function research as he did to uh, Senator Rand Paul. He, frankly, had had no problem with it being referred to as gain-of-function research in 2007. And he Mm -hmm. said in response to it, that uh, well, a pandemic. Uh, he said, "Well, um, that's that's the risk we run for scientific research." So he took it upon himself to impose upon the United States and the world the risk of a pandemic and uh, the loss of massive amount of human life to pursue this research in the in communist China, uh, even against the wishes of the presidents that he served under, and it resulted in the most horrific bioweapon in. Mer- in world history, and uh, he's he's account he should be held to account for that because he is directly mm-hmm. responsible for yep. it.
2: I agree, and, and it also boggles the imagination why we, meaning the United States or any arm of the United States, would partner with a sworn enemy of the United States, communist the communist Chinese government, partner with them. On a bioweapons, on bioweapons experiments, I I I cannot fathom it unless it's just the ultimate arrogance of scientific ignorance, where you say, "Well, let's just tinker around and skirt a few regulatory or legal things here, and let's just go forward." I mean, what was really, what could. It just boggles the imagination. Boggles my imagination, at least.
3: Well, it's the ultimate betrayal. You know, we think Benedict. When you think of an American traitor, you think of Benedict Arnold. Well, what Benedict Arnold did, bad as it was, is absolutely nothing compared to what uh, Anthony Fauci did. What Fauci did was the it was the ultimate betrayal of the United States, because the consequences of it were the loss of so many people's lives, and it was callous in total disregard of life. Uh, and it was done purposefully and uh over years, and the consequences of it have been and are still being felt and will continue to be felt and that uh that is beyond reprehensible i mean this is something for which he should pay and um, you know why we don't have him incarcerated um, is is really the question because in the end he abused his power. He lied before Congress when he testified that it wasn't gain-of-function research. He knew full well and fully understood it in his correspondence to be gain-of-function research. And he covered it up and he lied about it, as he did about, his, about the origins of the disease. There was no one who seriously thought that the disease had natural origins. It was well understood that the research involved here created something that does not exist in nature, And that uh, it it probably, in all probability, 99%, I would say, uh, it leaked out of the Wuhan lab, then into the uh, Wuhan uh, generally because of the wet markets where that's one area of transmission, but also it was in the hospitals too because they were reporting sick to the hospitals. And it started to spread throughout Wuhan. They shut the province of Wuhan down, that is the CCP did. But in the ultimate act of turning it into a bioweapon, they left international flights open from Wuhan, and then spread it to Europe intentionally and uh, devastated Europe, and then, of course, it spread to the United States and devastated the United States and the rest of the world as well. And that, uh, that means, you know, it's positive that China uh, weaponized this thing. And Fauci, all the while, uh, was not sounding the alarm bells. In fact, he tried to speak like a prophet at Georgetown University Medical Center between the time President Trump was elected and inaugurated by getting up there and saying that he knew that there would be a pandemic during the Trump administration. Uh, If he knew that, why didn't he alert the Trump administration to his, uh, uh, you know, sure findings? And instead, he didn't, and he didn't come up with any uh, emergency plan to shut the uh, international borders down and and block entry of this thing into the United States as best as could be done. Instead, um, he acted as if in the first instance, this was no big deal and thereby um, became complicit in a movement to allow this to spread. And then um, when it did spread, he at first said, no big deal, don't have to wear a mask. Then he later said, oh, you have to wear one mask, two masks, three masks. And all of that was a big fraud, and he knew that because masks are insufficient to block COVID. I mean, COVID can pass through a single strand of threat, certainly can pass through a cloth mask. The whole idea that somehow masking would be effective is utterly unsubstantiated and certainly contrary to everything we know about this virus. And then when it comes to um, uh, the vaccine, it was fraudulently billed as safe and effective. And then they went further. They started out saying 65% or so of people have to be vaccinated to give immunity sufficient to protect people, herd immunity. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they then said, no, it's 85%. And then they said, no, it's everybody in the United States, even kids and even newborns. And then they forced it on kids with the consequences of causing inflammation reactions that have caused myocarditis and endocarditis and have hurt uh, a, a significant number of youth. And uh, there's absolutely no justification for giving it to kids. There wasn't any, for anybody, frankly, mm-hmm. sufficient, but certainly not children because of the fact that they have fulsome immunity rarely do they succumb to the disease it happens but it's extraordinarily rare and they acquire fulsome immunity from it and the immunity reaction from this thing uh that the virus was vastly superior to anything the artificial spike proteins generated by your dna through the mnra platform uh could do for you so you have uh, a, a woefully inadequate um thing that's not really even a vaccine but does carry with it significant adverse effects that are numerous, and um, that was sold us as a bill of goods is the answer to this thing.
1: Well,
2: that's true. In fact, um, one of the things, and I I actually I visited the uh, wet markets in um, in Beijing, not in Wuhan, but in Beijing proper, um, and I'm not saying I ate any food from there. I'm just saying I I did tour them uh, with a a reporter from the New York Times. And, um, one of the things that I wondered when this came up and remember president Trump very, I guess president presciently said, he started almost immediately calling it the, the Wuhan virus or the China virus. And he wanted to like, you know, do a, uh, ban on flights and which he wound up doing at a certain point. Um. But he got so much criticism from that. So, so two, so two things. What? So I should say one thing. Do you feel was a case of malign, a benign neglect, where you know the U.S. Fauci, NIH, whatever, they was tinkering around and said, hey, go you know go play with this and see what happens, and the Chinese government intentionally released the virus to see. To do some sort of massive global epidemiological experiment or do you feel that it was literally just incompetence and then after it was released then they said well let's play around and let's see what you know how how far it can spread and how quickly which do you think is more likely um i i think that
3: this is a situation in which uh they just had callous disregard of the risks and remember at the same time that this thing's going on, we have um, information coming into Fauci. So Fauci is the fulcrum of evil on this thing. Uh, He has information coming in to him from sources within our own government that are informing him that the uh, that the containment procedures at the Wuhan lab were woefully inadequate and that there was a risk an ever-present risk that um, the gain-of-function research would result in spreading this into the population. So they knew that there was this significant risk. Despite that, he continues funding it to the tune of millions and millions. And um, he just accepts that risk as he does the risk that the communists might weaponize this. So what we don't have before us is the full picture on his financial interests. We do know that uh, he was receiving royalties – um, for patents that he had that apparently were used some of them out of his age research. And what we don't know though, is, is the full extent of that. How much money did he receive? Where did it come from? And, uh, and is it tied into this? It would appear to raise that question, uh, that, you know, did he, did he financially benefit from having this pandemic happen? Um, in which case, you know, then the level of criminality here is, is exponential. But um, there's every reason, you know, th- based on the evidence that has come out, to blame him directly for instituting the gain of function research and callously disregarding all of the uh, all of the uh, risk warnings about uh, the lack of containment procedures and the real possibility of a pandemic. They also knew that. This gain-of-function research going on, creating this virus, was creating something that had never been uh, a part of the environment and was really a potential threat of significant proportions. They knew with SARS one that it was released in the same manner, came out of the Beijing Institute of Virology, caused uh, a number of deaths when it, you know in its first iteration, but then mutated. Ra- rather rapidly, and then it would, became less of a threat. But nonetheless, you still had it go around the world. Well, in this instance, they had you know more of a development SARS two, uh, with the same platform, and the effect uh, was many times worse. So they learned from SARS one, and they in in creating this new one, they uh, engineered you know a virus that had elements in it that were even more um, uh, uh, deleterious than those in SARS-1, and the new soup that they created actually did produce um, dire consequences, and they knew it. As soon as the release happened and they saw what was going on with the population becoming infected with this brand new disease, they began to engage in a degree of censorship at the same time that they left international trips open so they were trying to protect themselves from the consequences of this internally and yet um... you know they had no regard for the rest of the world in fact this became an opportunity to weaponize it and mm-hmm. attack europe and the united states and Fauci was fully cognizant of this yet uh... you know does not sound the alarm because he's complicit in it directly and so at first he tries to deflect that uh, as the correspondence with him, email correspondence, makes clear. And then he comes up with these ridiculous narratives about it having natural origins, again, to deflect attention from him. And then he comes up with this ridiculous redefinition of gain-of-function research uh, so that when he testifies before Congress, he he thinks, uh, he's he's really lacks uh, uh, wisdom here, but he thinks he's going to be able to pull the wool over their eyes uh, by insisting that he was not aware that it met the definition of gain-of-function research when fully he understood the common definition was using it and had referred to this as
2: gain-of-function research himself well i guess uh we could probably re- or i would probably refer to this as the uh it's not a very catchy uh phrase but fauci um the fauci uh covet holocaust and um I, I, it brings to mind a, another communist regime, uh, Russia, well, which no, no longer called the Soviet Union, of course, but basically still communist. Um, and I remember, I think it was, well, I, I wasn't alive, but I remember reading and researching it for an article of mine. Um, I believe that the Soviet Union exploded a nuclear device. Under the Ural Mountains in 1947, and I remember receiving some heavily redacted um, CIA documents, or I don't know CIA, uh, which was filtered through Drs. Francesco Veneri and Charles Bowman from the Los Alamos Institute. They made sure I got a copy of this, um, basically showing that there were 1947 all of these people, I guess thousands of people, started streaming into hospitals in that area of Russia with radiation burns and radiation poisoning. And, you know, finally, basically, it kind of was never officially released, I mean, officially discussed, but back channels basically made it clear that the Soviets decided to just, hey, let's see what happens if we... uh, Explode a hydrogen bomb under the Ural Mountains. You know, see what happens. So, I mean, it's, it's, you, you find this with – you kind of expect this with, with communist regimes. You don't expect it with the United States of America. So let me just, you know, change tack a little bit here. And I'll just say, um, Jonathan, there's so much, so much of a narrative um, – I will say these days, but it's actually these decades – there's been so much of a narrative about the Wild West of the you know dietary supplement industry. How it's these products are not approved by the FDA, which I know we can get into. It's a class of food products, if they aren't drugs. But there, there, there's so much of a narrative in the in the mainstream media about uh, dietary supplements being supposedly being unregulated, which of course they're not, and supposedly being largely unsafe which of course they're not and can you speak to some of this this narrative and this misinformation I don't want to call it a campaign but it almost yeah seems like I think different. that the problem
3: is that uh, the media um, takes isolated instances of abuse or alleged abuse and then um, maintains the FDA's public position that gee without the FDA and without it Standing in the way of the availability of things, foods and supplements and drugs, um, were defenseless. So they they hammer at this. This is a big uh, drug narrative too. The drug lobby is in favor of this narrative Mm -hmm. that um, look, while drugs are safe because they're regulated. Ha 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 ha. Falsehood there. (laughs) I mean, we lose so many people every year to unsafe drugs, and the FDA has a long history of approving drugs that the medical reviewers of the agency think are unsafe, and they have their review panels dominated by people with conflicts of interest with the drug industry, and you have the politically appointed commissioners who all have to pass a gauntlet on the Hill before they get up there, with drug lobby influencing the direction of every member of Congress and massively influencing the uh, presidential appointment process with the exception of President Trump, uh, by and large, most presidents have been following that narrative, too. So you end up with a person who's a political hack, oftentimes, as the FDA commissioner, and they protect the drug industry. That's their future. So they do their job well, protect the most uh, well-heeled financial interests. When they leave the FDA, then they can enjoy lucrative post-government employment and positions. And so it, it, it's it's a it's a it, the FDA is a captive of the drug industry, does its bidding over and over and over and over again, the consequence being unsafe drugs. Well, they want us they want us to believe that if they impose the same regime over supplements and foods, that somehow we would be better off. Well actually we would be worse off if you use the drug example because we have so many unsafe drugs in the market. So what keeps us safe? What keeps us safe in the supplement market? Why isn't it that we're not all dropping dead? Uh, right and left, but actually have uh, many health benefits associated with the supplements that we consume. What is it? Why is that? Why is this unregulated Wild West marketplace uh, that really is just like every other marketplace in the United States not causing us to to die right and left? I mean, why is it that all manner of products that are out there that could potentially be harmful to us are not? Well, there's a thing called products liability suits, yes, but the real reason The real reason is that you don't last very long in business if your products kill your customers. and You don't last very long in business if your competitors discover that your products may kill or cause injury to your customers. And in a truly robust marketplace, there is very little ability for a company to survive. Uh, When you look at the Tylenol example, when that was spiked by a person who basically was a terrorist who, uh, who spiked the Tylenol, was causing people to drop down, die from that. Um, What did Tylenol do? Well, Tylenol responded in a way that was very astute, which was to say, hey, there's a real problem here. It's not us, but we're going to get to the bottom of it, and we're going to introduce safety mechanisms that are going to protect the public. And they came forward rapidly with doing that. Uh, And so there's a lot of – and that was not because of FDA action. That was because the company itself jumped in to protect its market and to ensure that its customers survive, and to and to, and to root out this uh, interference. The same is true with food and supplement markets. That's why ordinarily we benefit from the supplements we take, and it's a rare instance where fraud exists. It doesn't mean that it does not exist at all. But when you impose a prior restraint on everybody, and you make them go through a costly approval process by the government, before you can get something in the market. What does that do? It dramatically re- increases the cost to consumers, and it dramatically reduces the, the options. So you end up with politically chosen favorites in the market. That's what happens. And when that happens, we all lose, because they can charge above market rates of return, so the cost goes up. They can have government protect them from competition, so your choices go down and your costs will remain high. But in addition to that, innovation is squelched. Mm
2: -hmm. So
3: we don't want drug regulation of foods and supplements. We don't want the wide-open marketplace changed. We want people to know that they can get what they want in the market and that if somebody's fool enough to sell something that injures them, they will be punished in the market, they will be punished in court, And that the justice will be fair because it's meted out not against everybody with a prior restraint, but against the party that has committed the wrong. And that's called Mm -hmm. justice as opposed to shackling everybody, increasing everybody's cost, and putting politicians in the driver's seat as to your choice rather than you. And I'd rather be making these decisions myself as to what I choose in the market than having some bureaucrat who's politically motivated or under the control of politicians deciding what we can eat and what we can uh, use as
2: a supplement
3: to our food supply.
2: Well, a very good point. And I don't want to drag us, don't intentionally want to drag us back to vaccines, but I seem to remember that there was a, um, I don't know if it was specifically Pfizer was in the crosshairs of this, or if it was just vaccine developers in general, but I seem to remember there was some sort of a indemnity, um, basically like freedom from prosecution, sort of like indemnification uh, of uh, for vaccine makers. Am I remembering that correctly?
3: That's right. There's a vaccine uh, compensation fund, which is broken, doesn't really work, never did. uh, That went all the way back to President Reagan. He signed the bill with reluctance, but allowed it. But in this instance, Mm -hmm. another bill was passed. To give the uh, makers of the of the COVID vaccine full immunity against prosecution, this is a boneheaded idea, and we should not ever succumb to this again. And the reason is that you give these folks immunity, and what do they do? They lose, they drop their defenses against injury, and that's exactly what happened here. They they don't freak out;
2: they, they act with impunity.
3: That's right they don't freak out because you've eliminated the risk uh, to them. Uh-huh. So whenever uh-huh. you do that, for example, uh, why do we have profligate government spending? Well, the reason is that the members of Congress aren't paying money out of their own pocket. They, they experience no immediate adverse effect of the inflation that they impose upon all of us because of massive uh, deficit spending and, and a debt of over $34 trillion. That's our burden. And they will continue to write legislation and sponsor it. Since 1994, they've they've had a continuing budget resolution process. No actual budget review is required by the Constitution. They violate the Constitution. They just have continuing resolutions. They spend, 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 spend. And we suffer from inflation now because the spending is the highest in the history of the United States by far under this whole climate change agenda, which is destroying the marketplace and destroying our and and raising the cost of fuel and also making it virtually impossible for people to get what they're going to need in Mm -hmm. energy because our energy needs are exponentially increasing it's certainly not going to be covered by windmills and solar panels which the cost of which are massive uh compared to the cost of oil and natural gas and in point of fact without massive government subsidization at our expense inflationary subsidization we would not be able to afford the uh, energy generated by solar and uh, wind. And solar and wind doesn't operate um, without intermittent uh, uh, blackouts and brownouts and without uh, the necessity, if you're going to have energy supply maintained, of uh, using fossil fuels as a backup. So the whole thing is an absolute joke. and um, But the point is that this is how uh, government has operated in this profligate way, and it's at our expense every step of the way.
2: Those are great points. Um, turning the page a little bit to uh, what's going on in the states, um, there are several states, including New York, New Jersey, California, um, a couple of other states as well. In New York, one of these bills actually passed, that are anti-supplement and I covered this on uh, one of the recent, uh, one of our recent programs. The New York bill actually I think believe was signed into law but is being challenged by the National Products Association. But these are bills that on the surface are designed to quote unquote protect young people, people 18 and younger from these dangerous dietary supplements relating to weight loss and, um, sports nutrition, but there's this false, basically a false narrative, uh, that's being pushed by a, it's an, it's called striped. It's, it's some sort of a, uh, research arm of Harvard,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, their school of public health. And basically they've been pushing it kind of reminds me of the stuff that used to come out from the, uh, center for, no, no, not CSBI but it was, uh, the American Council on Science and Health it kind of reminds me of stuff that used to come out from there. Um, but it basically presupposes that supplements cause weight loss disorders such as anemia and anorexia and dangerous weight loss. But there are no data which show that dietary supplements cause or are linked to, in any way at all, body dysmorphia disorders. So, but in, but in New York, this thing already passed. In California, well, I'll actually give credit for Governor Newsom for having vetoed the first iteration of the California version of this, but now it's, up, it's on his desk again uh, with some minor changes. But this is going on in several different states, and the, the danger is you could say, well, supplements are mainly designed for adults. You know, kids, quote-unquote, shouldn't necessarily be taking a lot of supplements and, and what have you. And we, we can have conversations about that, and that's fine. But the problem is that these stores, the retailers, are in the front, on the front lines of this, and the manufacturers are on the front lines. And then they have to make decisions about the retailers have to make decisions about. In some cases, they say, "Okay, we're going to have to put our products behind a in a locked case, or put them behind the counter." Or and then the manufacturers have to make decisions like, "Okay, are we going to have one line of supplements that's only for these 46 states, <laughs> and this, and this line of supplements that's only for these four states?" And it's like companies are going to make probably have to make decisions that. Look, we're just not going to like have any weight loss or sports nutrition supplements. And then the larger question is dragged into all of this because almost any supplement you can not any supplement, most supplements—you can make an argument that it has some effect on energy, energy on, on on metabolism, on energy production, on cellular cellular health, on you know, like literally even omega threes. So you, you you could you could drag all of these other supplements into that the crosshairs of this. This could really have wide-ranging implications. Now, Natural Products Association is is trying, and Citizens for Health, you know, we're trying to uh, get the word out about this. But what are your thoughts about this, uh, Jonathan? These 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 state actions about um, dietary supplements.
3: Well, uh, it's consistent with this. Uh, authoritarianism in which people who are in government believe they know better than you do what's in your own self-interest. So they try to prevent you from accessing things for which there's no evidence of any significant injury at all. They do it based on political preference. So for example, they certainly aren't railing against drugs that are causing injuries and, Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a political reason for that. But here you have supplements for which there is virtually no adverse effects i mean you're talking about uh uh, no instance of death or if there is it's from a massive abuse and it's so rare as to be statistically insignificant and so you as you point out there's no evidence of injury so in the Mm -hmm. absence of injury they're claiming that injury is possible right of course injury is possible with everything including water you drink water in high enough, high enough amounts, you'll you'll kill yourself, and you'll dose your determines toxicity, right? Yep, so as yep. a result, um, this whole idea that you know with with no evidence, I mean, you could say the same thing. Certainly, with peanut butter or with eggs or with you could ban all of them, right? Because all of them can cause injury. Far more uh, likely to cause injury is a, is a food, milk, salmonella kills a lot of people every year, peanut butter. You have allergies to peanut butter that kills people, go into anaphylactic shock, and so on. But we don't take the position that because we can't predict in advance who's going to have an adverse effect, that we should ban the substance and not allow anyone to consume it. And in this instance, here you have products that people are uh, uh, asking themselves the relative value of it, that is to say um, the relative Uh, utility is subject to both scientific uh, debate and uh, subject to uh, popular um, uh, interest and use. Well, in that Mm -hmm. instance, which is true of virtually everything, there's always an issue as to whether something can cause or do something. Um, It is ordinarily the case that we allow the marketplace in instances of things that have no harm to work out these details and allow parties that are competing to debate it if you make an overt statement of fraud, again you can be prosecuted for that speech that because it's fraudulent. But in instances where there's this open discussion, we benefit enormously by allowing it to continue. And we don't benefit at all when government takes substances that have no harm off the market. Right. And they do that all the time. And as you're pointing out, this is being done here again. We have got to get back to understanding that our country is defined by its commitment to liberty. That's the only uh, thing that defines us as unique in all the world. This is our, our definition of liberty, which Thomas Jefferson gave us. He said, rightful liberty is unobstructed action according to will within limits drawn around us by the equal rights of others. He said, I did not say within the limits of the law because the law is often, but the tyrants will, and always so when it violates the rights of an individual. Here we're mm-hmm. violating everybody's rights. Everybody mm-hmm. is being denied their economic rights. Everybody's being denied their right to receive information and their right to access products that they wish to consume that have no harm, no injury. And the simpler uh, solution to this is just to leave the marketplace open and to encourage uh, parties to be free in their communication and competitors to be free. And that that enables consumers to understand. More information, more accurate information communicated in the public results in better informed choices. Suppressing information or denying people access to products simply does not affect anything other than imposing a veil of ignorance on everyone. And that redounds to their harm. Because the government cannot prove the lack of utility of these things. And the government cannot prove... That there is any injury, so as a result, this
2: is exactly what the marketplace is for.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's amazing how in certain industries, <clears throat> such as uh, look at look at pet foods, look at electrical electrical products, etc. For electrical products, you have the un- underwriters la- underwriters laboratories for pet foods you have afco and, and other so there are a number of industry, industries where you have very effective very um dynamic self-regulatory uh mechanisms and activities where the government says hey we're going to let the this industry is doing a good job you know regulating regulating itself more power to you that's good that less we have to expend in terms of resources and less we have to worry about, uh, looks like you guys are doing a good job. Uh, that kind of, that doesn't really seem to, you know, that, that sort of posture is not afforded to dietary supplements, um, and nutritional ingredients, unfortunately.
3: Yeah. Um, it, it it is you know it all it all gets back to the idea of uh freedom and, and whether you will trust people to make their own decisions as to what's in their own best interest or whether you think that in every instance the government has to be a nanny and control exactly what we eat and control exactly where we go and control exactly how we interact and that uh that's called slavery um when i when i i call, i tell you as as a slave owner that If I were a slave owner, I would tell you that my enslavement of you is for your own good, that it's beneficial for you because I'm controlling your life in a way that will enable you to avoid a whole bunch of things that you would otherwise encounter. Now, you tell me as the slave that you are not free, and you say, I'd rather take some risks and be free Mm -hmm. than to uh, live in this... uh, this concentration camp where you're controlling everything I do every day because there's greater oppression and there's greater denial of freedom of choice for me, uh, and that that defines my existence as bleak, uh, controlled, and um, miserable. And so uh, what they want to do is give us that bleak, controlled, and miserable existence. They want the FDA quintessentially all the time wants to be in a position of telling us what we cannot do, even if it doesn't cause us any injury at all, even when the people who are being restricted are not causing any injury at all. And this is the nature of the administrative state, and this is why it is antithetical to the Constitution, why it has never been constitutional to co-locate legislative, executive, and judicial powers in single hands, James Madison defined that as the very definition of tyranny, Uh, Mm -hmm. and that's the whole purpose of the separation of powers. That's the whole purpose of the non-delegation doctrine inherited from John Locke, the idea that you can't, without violating the the compact with the public on the Constitution uh, and and denying us the power of uh, Article 5, actually violating Article 5, you can't relocate the vested powers of the legislature to make the law, and of the executive to execute the law, and of the judiciary to adjudicate what the law means, outside of those branches to uh, independent regulatory commissions or bureaus or departments, because that is the very definition of tyranny. That's why we don't do that, but we did it, and now three-quarters of all the law is made by these people, and that is precisely against what the Founding Fathers wanted and it has resulted in tyranny. When you are when you are accused of violating a regulation and you've done nothing that has caused an injury to a single person, in fact, you can show that everybody's happy with your product, huh. that is an outrageous violation, and yet that happens every single day, and the FDA is one of the chief culprits, and the FTC is one of the chief culprits, And they have done more damage and have imposed more costs on consumers and have destroyed more businesses and jobs than just about any other entity with the exception of the EPA in the federal establishment. And that is not an achievement. That is an act of destruction and ruination of our liberties, and we have to reclaim the power to protect our rights and the limitations on government
2: that the Constitution prescribes if we are going to be free. Jonathan, I think you have summed it all up very eloquently. Um, Is there, tell me again, Jonathan, where people can find out more information um, about you and your campaign uh, before you become the the next senator for for Virginia.
3: emord4va.com. And uh, we welcome donations. That would be greatly appreciated. And we also welcome support. Uh, Anyone who would wish to volunteer for the campaign can do that through that same
2: site. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Peter, do you uh, have any closing thoughts?
1: Oh, first of all, Jonathan, thanks so much for taking your busy time for being here. Loved everything you said. Uh, you opened up my eyes a long time ago, like I said, when you were a guest speaker at a luncheon that we had and really kind of, under, you really opened up my eyes in a very simple way. And thanks for all the things that you've done. One of the uh, things that I just want to mention, and for those people that are wondering, you know, Jonathan said the things that he said about the uh, challenges that we have. The way that you fix this is you elect people like Jonathan E. Moore, for senators, if you've ever watched politicians on C-SPAN or anywhere else, they are you realize that they may be nice people, but they are not educated at the same level as people like Jonathan Eward So Jonathan talks like a doctor a lot of times, but it really is a constitutional attorney knows the law as well as the medicine, as well as the other things going on. He's been doing this for decades. So if you're looking for a way to make the changes that are super duper necessary. Go to emord4va.com, and emord is spelled E-M-O-R-D. And, Jonathan, if you could just spend – we have about two or three minutes left. If you could just spend the importance on why it's important to put people like you in the Senate, House of Representatives, other places like this as elected officials, why is that so important? And why is it maybe we're running out of time?
3: Well, thank you very much for having me on and for those wonderful words of encouragement and support. I I, I think that we really are at the end of our rope. Uh, we have a Constitution hanging by a thread. We have a government that has become so authoritarian that it has opened our borders without restriction. We have enemy agents pouring into our country. We have enemy agents who are parts of uh, serving the cartels, drug traffickers, sex traffickers, MS-13, 18th Street Gang, and so on, as well as actual agents of foreign powers that are enemies of the United States from China and North Korea and Iran and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad and so on, entering our country with impunity. We have a massive army now of underground uh, economy that is comprised of people who are here illegally, and we are we are in incentivizing their entry, and then flying them and, and bussing them and tra- putting them on trains all over the country. So I mean, this whole thing is gone berserk. We have an administration that is engaged in an intentional destruction of everything that has made us great, everything that is underlying uh, freedom in America and, and security for our property and our lives. So uh, if we're going to make it, we've got to change direction. Uh, dramatically and quickly and this election in 2024 is it this is the motivating factor for me I think that if we lose this and people like me are not in there the consequence will be grave and I do this for my kids and your kids and the future of our country and I I really couldn't have uh, felt good about myself in old age if I thought I did not take this opportunity to try to save my country before it was too late. I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. We are there, and this is the threat. And if we don't act now, we are going to regret it. it. It was Reagan who said that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We did not inherit it in the bloodstream, but we have to fight for it, defend it, and pass it on to each new generation. Or one day, in our sunset years, we'd have to say what it was once like to be free in America, And indeed, that is where we are Um, if we don't fight now. We will be looking back at the way America was as a free country, and we will realize that uh, we we are far from it, having fallen into the abyss of communism and socialism. So let's not not allow that to happen. Let's change it before it's too late, and let's recognize, let's be mindful of the fact that it is imminent if we do not change direction now.
1: So one last thing, uh, again, for those people that may have grabbed a pen or they want to do something, you go to emord4, E-M-O-R-D, like F-O-R-V-A, like virginia.com. And if someone is not in Virginia, can we still help? I know you're run- I can't vote for you for senator in Virginia because I'm in Florida. Um, but what can we do if we're not in Virginia to be able to help?
3: Well, donations are really helpful, and they're critical because my opponent. Um, in this race, Tim Kaine, is uh, so well-funded, he has Soros funding, and oh, uh, he's part of the Clinton, Clinton-Kaine Clinton uh, cabal, and um, he was the vice presidential running mate with Hillary Clinton. And as a consequence, um, we really do need all the financial help we can get, so that's one great way to make a big difference, and it will mean a lot, not only to us personally that the donation was made, but really to everybody in Virginia who's trying to fight for freedom, which is a very large number of people indeed. A lot of people are awakening, and I think we're going to see Virginia uh, flip this state from Democrat control in the Senate to Republican, and I'm hoping to be the next senator from Virginia, and I'm anticipating that with a vigorous fight against Tim Kaine, who richly deserves it.
1: Well, so for those people listening in, if you go to com forward slash citizens, you'll be able to hear this again. You'll be able to share with everyone that you know, and some of the biggest favors you could ever do is just kind of spread this information around. Have some time, but it's kind of running out. I mean, we're here, what is this, March? And we're talking about November, so you got to do a whole bunch of stuff real quick. So citizens.org is uh, James Gormley's website emord4va.com is Jonathan's, and Jonathan, I want to say thanks for being here. James, I'll let you wrap it up, and I know you're super busy. You are welcome back any time that you want if you need a special voice, and um, we'll spread the word around as well. So, Jonathan, thanks for being here. James, back to you. Thank yeah,
2: you. Um, well, yeah, thank, thank you so much. I'll just uh, amplify what, what Peter said. So, yes, Jonathan, thank you so much. We personally. Not organizationally, but we personally very much look forward to um, future times that we speak with you soon. You'll be the next senator, uh, U.S. Senator in Virginia. So look, look forward for that, to that time very, very much. And we definitely want to, I and we, definitely want to have you on the program again um, soon um, at a time that's beneficial for you. And um, thank you so much for your generosity of time. Senator. So you're running all around the state um, in your campaign. Aside from your busy legal practice, you're also, by the way, are running a, set, a U.S. Senate campaign. So, you know, we understand you know, how, how busy you are, and, and I'm very appreciative personally as well. Personally and on behalf of Citizens for Health.
3: Well, thank you so much, James, and you know for years and years I have watched your journalism and read your journalism, and uh, you're one of the best in the industry by far, and everybody knows that who's in the industry. So it's a real honor to be interviewed with by you, by both of you, and to have the chance to be on the program. So thank you again very much.
2: Thank you. Thanks,
0: thank everyone. you so much, Jonathan. Take we'll care. see you next time. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to the Citizens for Health radio show, brought to you by Citizens for Health on buildingfortunesradio.com with Jim Turner and Peter Mingles. Thanks for listening. For nearly two decades, Citizens for Health has been a nonprofit pioneer in the natural health freedom movement. Go to www.citizens.org to learn more and always listen in to Building Fortunes Radio, where our special host, Jim Turner, shares crucial information about many of the most important issues that affect your world. Citizens for Health provides over 100,000 supporters with consumer news, action alerts, and opportunities to take action. So listen in, get involved, and help spread the word. Be sure to check out the buildingfortunesradio.com website to hear more Citizens for Health segments with Jim Turner and Peter Meagles, And read about what's new on www.citizens.org. It's been our privilege to have you listen in Jim Turner, Peter, and I want to say thanks for listening and ask you to go spread the word. Tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world.